thank you for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant field life. To know more about the ministry or to support, visit riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you today as you listen to this message. Before we get to the text, I want to kind of review a little bit of uh, the context of where we are. At the beginning of chapter 10, uh, you'll remember that God had given a supernatural uh, vision to a gentleman named Cornelius. If you weren't here for that uh, particular message, Cornelius was a Gentile, a uh, Roman centurion. In, uh, he was a soldier of uh, Rome, and God had given him uh, a visitation by an angel. The next day, the apostle Peter was praying and seeking the Lord that God, God gave him a uh, vision as well. And Peter is essentially told in that vision by uh, the Lord that the Jewish laws of what is clean and unclean have changed and have particularly changed as it relates to the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ becoming our high priest. And so Peter goes to Caesarea where Cornelius is uh, and he hears Cornelius' story about how an angel of the Lord had visited uh, Cornelius and Peter realizes that uh, God is offering salvation to the Gentiles. Now, Gentiles, again, are you and me. Uh, if we don't have uh, a Jewish heritage, that would be you and me, that salvation is being offered to the Gentiles. And Peter, in our text, in chapter 10, verse 34, begins to preach the gospel message to Cornelius' house. And so that's where I'm going to ask you to stand and where we'll uh, pick it up and read what is happening as Peter begins to preach the message of hope to the household of Cornelius. Verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about uh, doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay on for a few days. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy today. We thank you for the public reading of Scripture. We thank you, Lord, for this particular passage that has been read in our hearing today. God, because it speaks so clearly uh, to who we are in Christ, how we become followers of Christ, how we walk in the power of the Spirit, Lord. It speaks so clearly to us, Lord Jesus. And so, God, I pray in these next few moments you would help me to clearly articulate this message. That again, nothing would be said or done that would distract or detract from what you desire to say, what you desire for us to know corporately this morning. We thank you for it, Lord. We praise you. We love you. And we just welcome your presence here. We welcome a move of the Holy Spirit this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So again, what we see here is Peter preaches the message of hope. He preaches the gospel. And as he is preaching the gospel, which incidentally, just kind of reading through uh, that short uh, sermon there, uh, doesn't it, it just, it just kind of pictures exactly what was asked of those who were baptized this morning, doesn't it? Uh, it kind of helps us to re- reflect exactly what the gospel is, which is uh, just a wonderful Sunday uh, to be able to orchestrate baptism and this particular message at this particular time and where we are as uh, the body of Christ. Only God can do that. I did not pre-plan to preach this message today on a baptism Sunday. God is the one who orchestrates these things. It's just amazing how it comes together. So Peter preaches the gospel. As he is preaching, the Holy Spirit falls upon those who are hearing the message of hope. And when Peter sees what is going on and those who are uh, from Jerusalem with him, when they see what is going on, they're pretty amazed because up until this point, they thought this was essentially kind of a Jewish thing that was happening, or you had, to, you had to become a Jew in order for this to happen, a proselyte. And uh, they're seeing what's going on, and these people hadn't gone through the ritualistic process uh, to become a Jew, and they're totally amazed at what God is doing because they're hearing everything happen exactly as it did in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. And so they're seeing, well, if this is happening, if God is doing this work, then how can we prevent them from being baptized, from being initiated into uh, the church and the kingdom of our Lord? And so this particular passage provides one of the clearest uh, evidences or understanding besides Acts 2 that articulates to us the doctrine of salvation and of Holy Spirit baptism. And so we're going to Look at that in the text in just a few moments, but I want to give an overview of these two particular things uh, specifically so we're on the same page uh, as we speak about salvation and uh, spirit baptism. Essentially, for you and uh, for me, salvation and spirit baptism are, uh, if you were to kind of try to try to articulate these theological parts, they're all inter related, but essentially they are two components, two theological events in the life of the believer that can happen uh, almost simultaneously, or we see later in the book of Acts that they can be separated by a period of time. So you can come to salvation in Jesus and spirit baptism can happen right away, or it may happen separated by a period of time. 
Salvation begins, we come to know the Lord Jesus at his initiation. It is the initiation of God. John 6, says, no one can come to the Father, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. So for you to even have an understanding to want to accept Christ, to want to be in relationship with Christ, it is already a work of God in your life. God is working on your behalf. So you can't truly say that it was my idea. God was working to call you to himself. Salvation isn't based upon our works. It's not based upon our good deeds. Ephesians 2 and 9. You're not going to do anything to earn it. But salvation does require repentance. And repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of sin, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and to walk in obedience to Christ. So this is where it concerns me at times when uh, a kind of a, a formula is offered for someone to come to Jesus. If you just kind of repeat these words, then you're in the kingdom. Salvation by necessity requires repentance, a turning from sin, a turning from the old way. It requires that work of God to awaken our spirit man to see that we are in opposition to God. If you are not in Christ, if you have not come to him in true saving grace, if you have not repented of your sins and said, I'm sorry, I don't want to sin anymore. I am committed to walking in holiness before you, Lord. If that's not your heart, then you can't be saved. You have to repent from sin. You have to repent. When God moves on us, we accept his call of salvation. And his call of salvation, one of the initial things is that sorrow for sin. God, I am sorry that I have offended you. The altar area uh, back in uh, the older days used to be called the mourner's bench. Uh, it was called the mourner's bench because people who the Lord was dealing with would come to the altar and they would mourn and weep over their sin. And it was their stepping into the kingdom of God, renouncing the life of sin and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of the ways that we know that we are saved, that we don't, we don't want to be part of that old life anymore. We've repented of that. We're sorry for that. We don't want to live there anymore. It bothers me when we get in silly discussions. Well, can you do this or can you do that? Hey, focus your heart upon Jesus. Repent of your sin. Focus your heart to him and everything that he says get rid of, get rid of. Everything that he says turn from, turn from. You heard Pastor Chris, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe that, that Jesus is the son of God? See, at salvation, our life is spiritually transformed. Theologians call that regeneration. There is a, a change within us that doesn't long for the old life, but longs to be like Jesus. And that's why the Gospels are so essential, because we read through the Gospels and we see the holiness of Jesus. He who knew no sin, he is our example. And if he is our example, that's who we ought to pattern our life after. 
When you have that question, well, can I do this or can I do that? Wonder, would Jesus be doing that? Would Jesus be going to those places? Would Jesus be longing after these things? We're also at salvation declared justified before God. Not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus' righteousness, says, is imputed to us. And this is why our praise ought to be so exuberant and wonderful and spiritual that we're caught up into his presence because we realize it's not of our righteousness, but it's because the righteousness of Jesus has been imputed into us. And now we are justified before God, not on the account of our righteousness, but on account of Jesus's righteousness. That's why we can worship him and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. Watch your enemy, but now seated right at your table. Justification. Justification, when we read some of the epistles, we come to an understanding that justification is kind of like the judge banging his gavel on the desk saying, you are innocent of the charges. You bear it no more. I've shared this example multiple times, so just kind of humor me if you're hearing it again. Uh, I, think I, I think I've shared it probably within even the last year, so I'm sorry, but it fits this, uh, it fits this analogy really, really well. Uh, a long time ago, I was traveling up in toward northern uh, Virginia, was heading on 20 and was uh, going uh, up on 20 and passing a school and it was a school zone. And during that time of day, uh, the light was flashing that it was a school zone. I didn't see the light. The normal speed limit was 50 miles an hour. I was going 49. The school light was flashing, and I zoom in on by right at 49. I crest the top of the hill, and a police officer was sitting right there and just kind of rolled me right onto the side. And I, uh, I stopped, and he cited me for going 49 in a 25. I was in the wrong. Uh, I knew I was speeding once I found out that I was in a school zone and it was actual school zone time. I knew that I was guilty of what was charged. But as if you've ever gotten a ticket in Virginia, I assume it's still way, still this way. You paid per mile uh, per hour over the speed limit that you were going. So if it was 25 for me, I would have paid 20, I think it was $24 times 24 miles times $5 at that point, plus the court fees and whatever else. Well, in actuality, that school zone wasn't a 25-mile-per-hour zone. It was a 35-mile-per-hour zone when the school signal was flashing. And as the school signal was uh, flashing, and I knew I was guilty, but I still went to court because I didn't want to pay the extra money for the fine. So all I expected at that court appearance was that my fine would be reduced because it was actually 35 instead of 25, so I wanted to pay a little less. And when I went before the judge, what the judge indicated was because the ticket had been written wrong, it was totally null and void. Because he had written it, the, the police officer had written it in error, the judge did not, was not able to adjust my fine. He had to throw the whole thing out. So in the eyes of the state of Virginia, when I go back and pull that record, it doesn't show that I was ever speeding there at all. Amen. <laughs> 
And this is what happens. We're guilty. I was guilty. There's no doubt in my mind that I was guilty. There was no doubt in the judge's mind that I was guilty. But by legal decree, when he hit his gavel on the desk, I walked out of the courthouse not paying a cent as if I never had done anything at all. And this is what happens when we come into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified. An easy way to remember that theological term is just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. That is how we are before the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we come into relationship with Jesus, when we have repented of our sin, God has moved upon us. We have repented. We believe that he is the son of God. We are regenerated, pushing away from the old life, no longer longing the old life, pointing towards the new life in Christ, judicially declared not guilty. What we ought to want to do is be obedient in the next step, which is water baptism. It bothers me when people don't want to do that next step because it is an obedience to the commands of Christ. Yes, it's a little unnerving. Yes, you can get a little awkward in the water, but you know, we've all been in awkward places before. You know, I, I tried to clean it up this morning when I found out uh, the Asaris wanted to be baptized. I said, oh, we'll be doing that on the fourth or on the third uh, Sunday of each month. We'll do it then. When Chris hears them, he says, come on, let's do it. <laughs> That's the beauty of different gifts in the body. You have to be baptized. And I'll say it here. I know there are... Uh, uh, traditions of faith that believe in an infant baptism. If you're baptized by an infant, you're baptized into the, the kingdom of God. We firmly believe that scripture articulates just as in this case that you have to be a confessing believer in order to step into the pool. You have to be a believer who confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior in order to be baptized. That's known as believer's baptism because baptism is a sign to us and to the believing community that we are in Christ and part of his church. In some places of the world, to be baptized is essentially a death sentence. They take it seriously. They take it very seriously. A second work of God's grace in our life is that which is initiated by Jesus in the life of the believer. Jesus is our Holy Spirit baptizer. Spirit baptism should not be seen as synonymous with salvation. It should not be seen that way. It is a separate, distinct, important, and necessary work of God's grace. It can happen at the moment of salvation, but it can also happen with some time period that separates it. We see five instances in the book of Acts where Holy Spirit baptism follows salvation. Acts 2, 8, 9, 10, and 19. In Acts 2, 10, and 19, it is clear that there was a manifestation of tongues and prophesying as a sign of spirit baptism. In Acts 8, when spirit baptism happened, something was clearly seen by the onlookers. They could tell something had happened. In Acts 9, when Ananias prayed for Saul, a specific prayer was for him to receive the Holy Spirit. And while the text doesn't say that tongues were present. We do know that the apostle Paul spoke in tongues after he believed by his own testimony in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So all five instances show that something miraculous or supernatural happened at the moment of spirit baptism. Peter says in Acts 2, 38 and 39, that this promise is for everyone that Jesus calls to himself. 
It's not for an elite crew. It's not for a certain group of people. It is for everyone who the Lord Jesus Christ calls to himself. And so this is a sense that we get as Peter preaches the message in verses 34 and 35. The gospel previously had been seen as a continuation of Judaism. General thought was that Jesus was the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy, but many of the ritual laws still needed to be kept. And when Peter received that heavenly vision and he came to Cornelius' house, he realized that that wasn't the case, that God was not more favorable to the Jews than he was to the Gentiles, that here there was a new covenant that had been initiated by a new high priest, and that new high priest's name was Jesus. You can read more about that in Hebrews chapter 7 around verse 12. And Peter came to know that God was not going to favor some people's ethnic heritage over others. He came to understand that the gospel was for everyone, that everyone was welcome to come to Jesus, everyone who feared him, everyone who sought to do what is right. Like Cornelius, who wasn't a Jew, didn't act like a Jew, didn't look like a Jew, the gospel is for everyone. There is no barrier to anyone to come to Jesus. Romans 10 and 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but you must call on the name of the Lord. There is salvation in no other, Acts 4 and 12, but for Jesus. The gospel calls to believe in Jesus, and that call is for all people. Nothing can prevent you from coming to the Lord Jesus, not your background, not your color, not your ethnicity, not what you've done, not what you haven't done. The gospel calls for you and for your children and for as many who are far off, according to Acts 2 and 39. The gospel is for everyone. The work of the gospel, the power of the gospel, the ministry of the gospel is for everyone. There are no barriers to receive the message of hope, which is why we must have an urgency about sharing that message. We must have a heart to want to share the message with other people. But unfortunately, often in the church in the West, what we have gotten is sort of complacent in our, in our pews and in our comfortableness that we think, okay, church is about me coming to receive, but church is about us coming together in order that we may go out and proclaim what Jesus Christ has done in us. Go and tell the good things which the Lord has done for you. It's for everyone, for everyone. That's the beauty of even living in this city. You can go around the world by going around the block. You can share the gospel around the world just by driving around the block and knocking on doors. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone who believes on him receives the forgiveness of sin. There is one person who is the focus of the gospel. Hebrews 12 and 2 says Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus has initiated our faith and Jesus completes our faith. As an exercise, I want to read back through Acts 10, 36 through 43. I'm going to be reading from New American Standard. And what I've done here is I've just, I'm not changing scripture here, but I've just taken where it says he referring to Jesus and just put Jesus' name there. So where it's a pronoun referring to Jesus, I'm just going to say Jesus' name so that we get the sense in this sermon that Peter is preaching how often Jesus is mentioned. 
The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, Jesus is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing that happened throughout Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Jesus. We are witnesses of all the things that Jesus did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put Jesus to death by hanging Jesus on a cross. God raised Jesus up on the third day and granted that Jesus be revealed not to all the people, but to witnesses who had been chosen beforehand by God, that is to us who ate and drank with Jesus after Jesus arose from the dead. And Jesus ordered us to preach to the people and to testify solemnly that Jesus is the one who had been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify of Jesus that through Jesus' name, everyone who believes in Jesus receives the forgiveness of sins. That's the message which Peter preached. It was all about Jesus. It was focused on Jesus. It was focused on the grace of Jesus. The power of Jesus, the plan of Jesus, and the opportunity that we have to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. The centrality of the gospel or the good news is about Jesus, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again for our benefit, that we might receive the forgiveness of sins and be with him eternally. Jesus is our savior, our sanctifier, our spirit baptizer, our preaching And teaching must focus on the central figure of the gospel, which is Jesus. It is easy to put a sermon together and preach to the felt needs of a congregation. What are you going through? And I can preach to that. And afterwards, you can pat me on my back that I did a good job for you, but didn't preach Jesus. We can't preach to felt needs. We have to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And from cover to cover, page to page, this message of hope is about Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The self-help gospel tries to teach you how to do better with psychoanalysis, seven steps, 12 steps. Yes, the gospel teaches us to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel doesn't tell you what you want to hear. It tells us what we need to hear. The glory of salvation, the grace of salvation is not about you and me. It is about Jesus. And if we are truly saved, we won't try to make it about us. God, what can you do for me? How can you help me? What can you do in my situation? We'll try to make it about Jesus and what Jesus is doing and the glory of Jesus' church. If you and I would get our eyes off ourselves and truly worship him in spirit and in truth, some of the things that we worry about, we won't worry about anymore. And some of the things that we think about, they would just come to pass and work themselves out by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. I've heard the saying that sometimes that my, it's a song that we sing, I believe, that says my praise is my weapon. Keep your heart focused on praise. This is why the enemy wants to steal that from you. If the gospel doesn't focus on Jesus, it's not the gospel. Someone preaches in the pulpit and they don't talk about Jesus, don't uh, offer Jesus, don't think about Jesus. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. When Peter preached to Cornelius, he didn't talk about Peter. He didn't talk about Cornelius. He didn't talk about the household that had gathered around. He talked about Jesus. There's salvation in no one else. You have to understand that the gospel is about 
Jesus, and Jesus has a means in which he wants the gospel to be shared, and it is that sharing of the gospel is primarily through preaching. The gospel must be preached. Verse 42 says, Jesus ordered us to preach to the people. Cornelius' household wasn't saved until the gospel was preached. He was a good guy. His household was moral and devout. But they were without salvation until the gospel was preached. There is no salvation in a pious and devout man's house until Jesus is preached. The gospel had to be preached to Cornelius for him and his household to be saved. As believers, preaching Jesus, sharing Jesus is not an option. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. I believe this is a first time for me, but I want to reread that through the New Living Translation. And it says, Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know Jesus through human wisdom, rather God has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. See, we can worship, we can dance, we can sing, we can do all the things and rejoice in them, but we are still going to have to preach the gospel because it is an order from Jesus. On Sunday morning, I'm happy for us to take an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, four hours, and we praise and dance and sing and shout and rejoice together, but you're going to get the gospel. We're still going to have a message. And I may not be like Peter and preach it in three or four verses. We're going to have the gospel. We're going to preach about Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus because preaching is not an option. And preaching, that is gospel preaching, should always move us uh, to action in verses 44 through 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay on for a few more days. What do you see in those last few verses? You see action. Things are happening. People are doing because the gospel has been preached. And there is a movement. There is a a movement towards the things of the Lord because the gospel motivates us to action. When you read through the gospel of Mark, Mark's account is really seen as a gospel of action. It shows Jesus working and moving over and over and over again. It is a fast-paced message that Mark tries to put it together for us because the gospel is a gospel of action. When the gospel is preached, if you've not been saved, come to Jesus. If you have not been baptized, get baptized. If you have not been Holy Spirit baptized, get Holy Spirit baptized. If you are not serving in the kingdom, serve in the kingdom because the gospel should always motivate us to action. Cornelius and his household were forever changed by the message that was preached to them by their encounter with the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. And my question to each one of us today is, have we been changed by the gospel? Is your life different because of Jesus? Or would it be that I was a good person before I was pious and I came down and I said a few words and I went back and 
Who I was before is the same person who I am afterwards. Still a decent person. People still pat me on the back. I don't do anything too bad. Or has the gospel truly motivated you? Is your life different? If it's not, and I don't mean to be blunt here, but I will be blunt. If your life has not changed by encounter of Jesus, you are not saved. The gospel is about transformation. The gospel is about moving from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There ought to be a change. The way we gossip before shouldn't be the way we talk now. We actually ought to shut those things down. The way we thought about ourselves then, the things that we enjoyed, the things that we were drawn to, should no longer be the things that we are drawn to. We should be drawn to things that call us to holiness, to walk in righteousness, to be like Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, to walk before him in holiness. I don't hear a lot of preaching about holiness anymore, what it means to be holy. We're so afraid that someone might get the idea of works righteousness, and we've swung the pendulum so far to the other side that we don't even talk about holiness anymore. The gospel should compel you to want to live right before God. And if that desire is not within you, I would encourage you to be at the altar and pray and weep and wail or wait until it comes that there would be a transformation. Our affections, our desires must be changed. We must pray for a move of the Holy Spirit in our life to be baptized by Jesus in his Holy Spirit. We believe in salvation. We believe in water baptism. And so often we stop right there. Well, why does the book of Acts give us five instances of spirit baptism? Because it is something in the life of the believer that motivates us to action for the kingdom. We want to think about what that looks like. Maybe I'll be undignified. Well, when David, when he got pointed out, he said, I'm going to be a lot more undignified than this. What do we care about being dignified or not? This is about the kingdom. If you're in Christ, you and I are part of a dynamic, spirit-led, worldwide church that finds its local expression here in this body of believers. Many other churches doing many, many good things, but God has placed us in fellowship here with one another. This is not a social organization. We will not be a social organization where we come to find friends, do business, do good community deeds, and all those other things. We will be the body of Christ, and we will be on mission, making ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's what we want to do. We want to prepare ourselves to be ready for when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, continually preparing ourselves for the Lord. We must be about the Lord's business. Amen? Amen? Let's stand together. Let's pray. Today, you're here. We don't want to uh, make a long, drawn-out effort here. We want to cut uh, to the chase and what this message is about. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you need to know Jesus. Today, today is the day of salvation. You sense it in your heart. You've not really given your heart to them. Maybe you prayed a formulaic prayer, but maybe that's not it. You can't pray a formulaic prayer and go back and be the same as you were before and think that that is what salvation is. That's not what salvation is. Salvation brings a change of affections. But you need to pray. Someone to intercede with you. Someone to stand with you. 
Maybe you've been changed by the gospel, but you have waited or hesitated to be obedient to follow the Lord in water baptism. Scripture calls us to do that as an obedience to the Lord. You know, we're not going to always pretty it up and have everybody dressed just so and whatever. Today was just a beautiful expression of sorry, family. I thank you so much for coming and just getting in the water because it was time. It was time. Amen. You've not been baptized in water. We'll do it today. We'll continue what's going on. If you've not been baptized, you need to be baptized. We will do it today. We've been praying. We've been praying for uh, many of us. We've been praying for many in our church. We see here it doesn't necessarily have to follow salvation, water baptism, spirit baptism. We see in Cornelius' instance it was salvation, spirit baptism, then water baptism. We see how it happens all different ways throughout Scripture, but what we see is a consistency, a consistent pattern, specifically in the book of Acts, that there are people who are praying for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I believe it's important for you and for me. I believe it's important. And I believe that if that's something that you have prayed for and maybe you don't sense that God has worked in that way in your life, you need to keep praying. Here's what I will tell you. You want to talk about signs. We want to talk about all these things. And I think those things are important and have their place. But I also will tell you that if you have been spirit baptized, you'll know you're spirit baptized. If you don't know, then maybe today is the time to see, the time to pray, the time to ask God once again for his work in your life. So I'm going to ask some people who are willing to pray to come to the altar and stand. <clears throat> if you need salvation, you need to be baptized in water, you've not been obedient to that command, I'm going to invite you to come. You're seeking the Lord for spirit baptism. You say, hey, I, I'm not sure. I don't think. I don't know. No. Maybe you say, no, that's not happening to me. We need you to pray. We need to ask God who hears and answers. We've had wonderful times of praying. Lord Jesus, we pray in this moment as we lift our hearts to you, as we seek you earnestly and in one accord, we pray, oh God, that you would help us by your mighty hand. Call us to faithfulness, Lord. Call us to obedience to your word. Help us, Lord, to step out of the areas of comfort that we create in our own life. We kind of, well, I don't, I don't really feel comfortable doing that. I don't really want to step out in that way. Help us, Lord, to sort of take that step to know you're working. Say, Jesus, I'm willing to trust you with this. I'm willing to walk faithfully before you with this, Lord Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. I believe what I preached to you this morning was what was written in Acts chapter 10. You had a group of people who were decent people that needed the gospel preached to them. Peter preached it because he was ordered to do so. As he preached the gospel, the Holy Spirit moved upon them. They believed. They were baptized. They received that spirit baptism just like Acts chapter 2 happened. 
as they received the spirit baptism, Peter saw that God was doing a work and he says, we need to initiate them into the kingdom by water baptism. That's what God wanted to speak to us this morning. If you're here this morning and you need prayer as they sing, I'm going to invite you to come. Salvation, baptism, spirit baptism. Maybe you're going through a struggle. You need someone to stand with you. You're welcome to come. Let's take time today. Let's intercede before the Lord. Thank you for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope today's message encouraged you to take a step closer to Christ. If there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about, please visit our website at riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you this week and may you walk in all of His promises and plans for your life.